Welcome inside 254. Let's close the office door and start the conversation. The talk around the table today is about free speech, and I'd like to start with a story about something that happened on our campus, and happens on a lot of campuses, um, but that really shook some of my students. There was a group that came onto campus, uh, they had permission, and were doing all kinds of like speeches and shoutings uh, in front of a very large academic building about how people who are gay are going to burn in hell. And I mean, my students are used to hearing that, but the problem that my students were having, and then they, I asked them to record it and they were able to, is that these speakers were shouting at my students to kill themselves, that if they were gay, they should commit suicide, was their words. My students came to me because they wanted to know what to do, because at this point now they felt unsafe on the campus. They have every right to walk into an academic building that they are paying to go into. Um, they have every right to go into that without having their identity completely devalued and then being told to commit suicide. So they came to me and I was like, I don't have answers for you. I'm not really sure what we're supposed to do. Lots of things were floated around campus. Some uh, responses, I think, sillier than others. So I encouraged my students to go speak to a group that has been created to try to address these issues. I tell you this story because I think you're seeing this more in mainstream media. You're seeing these debates on campuses. You hear our president talking about them. The idea of free speech on campuses. And our campus is a public campus, not a private campus. So that has its own complex set of issues. So Amanda, I know you were looking a little bit at the ACLU and what they have to say about free speech on campus. <laughs> and that's, a, of course, a great resource. So we thought yes. we would start there and see what what is it what is free speech on campus look like mm -hmm. and then I, we also have some student attitudes about it um, and the debate continues that group is still doing its work um <coughs> developing right. oh your group i thought you yeah. had those terrible people no, i'm no, like no, that's no, nice the, that you're calling it work <laughs> no the 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 group that's on campus trying to develop um you know protocol protocol or, yeah, procedures policy. policies documents how to handle these these events right and not thrash the first but these moments where when the free speech collides with what students perceive as right. their safety right part of what i did for that and i did it again to remind myself was to look on um, the aclu has a section of its website so aclu.org has a section called speech on campus and it's several printed pages i would encourage everybody to go and read through it especially if you have this idea or wondering like why why is it okay for someone to come onto our public campus and tell our students that they should kill themselves, how is that protected? And uh, you know, I, I of course, I understand people are very hurt, and people feel threatened and targeted, mm -hmm. and there is something about targeted harassment. But I think, um, in terms of the legal distinction, where is that line? from what I've been told from the university, from the legal counsel and such, that 
does not cross the threshold. So, right. So being told to go kill yourself <laughs> is not the same as saying, I'm going to kill you. Right. Which would then not, not be protected speech. Right. So people are knowing how to play with this they fine are. line. They do it on Twitter, too, right? Like, I bought a gun for you. Oh, I'm not saying I'm going to kill you. And before I go into what the ACLU says, I think it's really important, since this is one thing that our group has been talking about, it's really important to, we need to educate our students a little better about the fact that when these groups come on campus, you just said it very well, they're playing with, they're coming right up against the line and they're doing it on purpose. They're saying these awful, awful, hurtful, racist, sexist, misogynist, xenophobic, bigoted things because they know they're going to get a reaction. That's exactly what they want. They want our students to shout them down. They want our students to throw things at them and become violent because then they can capture it all on video and show the world how awful these liberal indoctrinating universities are. That is their goal. So I understand the desire and the impulse to push back and to shout down. I have that impulse myself, but I also I also understand that's what they want. And we have to be I think we have to be careful. We don't give them what they want. Right? So if you ignore them, that's one option. But that's a very privileged option. It is, but right? there are to be in a position of privilege that right. you think Having, you can ignore somebody because mm-hmm. your status and is the SPLC actually against. Yeah, the Southern Poverty Law Center recommends that students have um, when they know someone's coming on campus, and you don't always know. They can actually just show up. When we're a public university, people can just show up. Mm-hmm. So if you know someone's coming on campus, or the but they have to register in. for the with the police. N- they can just show up. They can just literally they show can up. They can literally okay. just okay. show keep up. Going. All right, keep going. So <clears throat> when we know they're going to be there, students can, if they want, go, okay, so we know this group is going to come back to campus and we're going to have an alternate event, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just in the other section of quad mm-hmm. and we're going to have like a sing-along. I or told my students they should go have a make-out some, a thon. Some, <laughs> I was like, queer yeah. students, you're allowed to leave yeah. and go just make out. Just something. <laughs> yeah, something, some demonstration. Something that's positive and is also speech and protected but that is in response, right? So so this is what the, the ACLU's document on speech on campus starts by saying, the First Amendment to the Constitution protects speech no matter how offensive its content. Restrictions on speech by public colleges and university amount to government censorship in violation of the Constitution. Such restrictions deprive students of their right to invite speech they wish to hear, debate speech with which they disagree, and protest speech they find bigoted or offensive. An open society depends on liberal education, and the whole enterprise of liberal education is founded on the principle of free speech. Mm -hmm. Since its founding in 1920, the ACLU has fought for the free expression of all ideas, popular Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. unpopular, Mm -hmm. where racist, misogynist, homophobic, and transphobic speech is concerned. The ACLU believes that more speech, not less, is the answer most consistent with our constitutional values. And then before the question Mm -hmm. section, there's a huge section of questions. But before that, it says, um, to be clear, the First Amendment does not protect behavior on campus that crosses the line into targeted harassment or threats, or that creates a pervasively hostile environment for vulnerable students. And I think that's where we have our debate on our campus is our students who who were there, who were being told to kill themselves, I think felt threatened. They felt targeted harassment. They felt it was creating a 
but I think it's important. Pervasively hostile is different than a one-off. So right? can I so, jump in here real quick? Hold on. Oh, go ahead. But merely offensive or bigoted speech does not rise to that level. And determining where conduct crosses that line is a legal question that requires examination on a case-by-case basis. Hmm. So ACLU is advocating for, you know, the hard work of real social change to understand the underlying causes of inequity and bigotry instead of purifying the discourse. They are not supportive of an, any college that wants to uh, restrict speech because they think it's more of a symbolic gesture. Mm-hmm. They think that colleges and universities have to step up their efforts to do things like recruit diverse faculty, students, mm-hmm. and administrators, mm-hmm. increase mm-hmm. resources mm-hmm. for student counseling, and raise awareness about bigotry in its history. And this document has. A, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go through the, all the questions or even all the answers. But like they've got some really good questions that relate to this idea. Does the First Amendment protect speech that invites violence against members of the campus community? What about campus safety? Doesn't the First Amendment have an exception for, quote, fighting words that are likely to provoke violence? Well, that was, and that was my, right, that's why I wanted the students to go to the task force, because in my mind, right, campus safety, like, you have the right to be safe on your campus, but you really, I guess, don't have that constitutional right. But people have a constitutional right to free speech, and they can shout to students, and I have it you know, recorded, yeah. you should kill yourself. Yeah. You should be dead. And, like, and yeah. this, this is where, I mean, I was advocating with our administration for that interpretation because I, I really believe... Right, it's a safety like, issue. I the, believe the, it's a safety the, issue. These students right. really did. These are students on the margins who already, in right. my mind, Vulnerable. are unsafe. Right, right. And uh, but you know, even according to the ACLU, it says that you know, the First Amendment does not protect fighting words, but this is an extremely limited exception. It applies only to intimidating speech directed at specific at a specific individual in a right. face-to-face confrontation that is likely to provoke a violent reaction. Right. And if you think about the way that's framed, that's a pretty high bar. So yeah. you can be in someone's face shouting these horrible things, but unless there's a, a likeliness that it's going to provoke a violent reaction, it wouldn't. It's like it's super uncomfortable and it's unfortunate, but and it says the fighting words doctrine does not apply to speakers addressing a large crowd on campus, no matter how much discomfort, offense, or emotional pain their speech may cause. Mm-hmm. So I think most people understand that, though, and I think I get that, and I give money to the ACLU. It is really frustrating, though, as a teacher and a person who's there trying to make sure students feel safe. And you can call me a snowflake for talking about safe spaces and all that. But I think students have a right to walk into a classroom and not because of their identity be told that they should commit suicide. But I understand that that's, uh, you know, that's an easier pill for me to swallow, thanks to free speech, than it is for a, a student. And I wonder if that, I think some of that might have to do with this recent survey that was done by the Knight Foundation with college students specifically about free speech. Mm-hmm. And one of the most interesting things I think that came of this is that if they had to choose between promoting a diverse and inclusive society and protecting free speech rights, students were pretty um, even in the sense that more, a small majority said protecting free speech versus promoting a diverse and inclusive society. but. When asked which was more important, students chose by a narrow margin diversity and inclusion over free speech, especially women and blacks. 
and I think some of that is probably because marginalized, right? Like vulnerable, marginal, and they didn't break it down by sexuality, but I think that might factor in too. But folks that have been victims of marginalization through speech, Mm -hmm. it is no surprise to me that they would say, you know, inclusion, like, and I read that as like a student who's queer wanting to walk into a building, right? Like inclusion is more valuable than protecting the speech of a stranger who has walked on the campus to purposefully devalue and delegitimize this this queer student's um, identity. It, it's really curious how students are responding to this. And I think the numbers of this study show that they're trying to figure this out too. Yeah. And that they know free speech is important and that they know that it matters but they also see the conflicts of it. Yeah. And they are trying to figure out how to balance those two very important entities. They're really trying to figure out, and they're right there, just like right on the line. They, they want, it's like you want both, yeah. but they see that maybe they can't have it. Mm-hmm. But they do support limits to it, some of it. Like, and again, blacks and women are among the groups that are less supportive of an open environment than they were in 2016. And hey, what happened in 2016? Yeah. Wait, we've legitimized legitimized misogynistic and supremacist. So if that's getting legitimized, you're like, well, of course then I want to shrink it because it's now, again, unsafe for me. Right. So it's no, I don't think it's an accident that people who are maybe seen racially or or gender-wise marginalized Mm -hmm. are saying, okay, great, I love free speech, but at the same time, I am now unsafe again. Yeah. It's interesting, too, especially since we've had this issue, specifically with uh, queer students. The, one of the questions here is, aren't restrictions on speech an, an effective and appropriate way to combat to combat white supremacy, misogyny, no, and discrimination and no. and against LGBT people? Right. And I know the answer to this is going to be is, no, right? Historic, say historically, no. Right. restrictions on speech have proven at best right. ineffective and at worst counterproductive in the fight against bigotry. And I think you it's and about I have, like it's actual social change that needs to take. We place. have dedicated yeah. our careers yeah. to inoculating students against right. this kind of bullshit yeah. that they encounter. Yeah, it's not that we don't understand the answer to that question. Some At people the, might not, though. I think that I think there are. You think there are people? Who oh want no! To like I, say, and I think some of the students who are saying, "Well, diversity and inclusion is more important than free speech." I think those students maybe need to. Maybe read a little bit about what that clause actually is and what some of the cases about free speech have been, because that's that is that is the point is that, yes, it's making you upset. It's making you feel threatened. It's making you Mm -hmm. feel unsafe. It's making you feel targeted. And yet that line hasn't been crossed. Why is that? Well, there's a reason and there's a long history of cases about the First Amendment More that, than any lay, other probably. that lay the foundation. And that is that is something that the primary thing that the Supreme Court does is it looks at cases to determine whether something is constitutional or right. not, if it violates the First Amendment or not. It is an evolving mm-hmm. question. So to, it's not exactly settled, but until we have a case that goes to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court makes a determination in a particular case that says something to the effect or shows something to the effect that actually we can evolve this understanding of it even more and change it in these ways to accommodate this, you know, inclusion, this sense of targeting without a particular individual target. Until that changes, this is the law. Right. 
I mean, like so until somebody it, sues their university and says that I am unsafe because I was right. told to commit suicide, and, and it, goes it has to, to go the all the way court. to the Supreme Court. Right? And so that's why you know what's easier that or working as hard as we do for this social change at the ground level, right? Structural on, like, uh, on our campuses right. and everything. The structural but, change so that they can hear that and be like, well, no, I should not commit suicide. Right. So the idea that this person who comes on campus who doesn't know you, who doesn't care about you, who is actually hoping to get you to respond violently so that they can put you on YouTube and say, look how awful these people are, look how awful these kids are, you know they're doing that. And they're it's their doing that job. On, that's and what that's, they and do. And that's the other thing, right, that, that somebody is paying them to do that. They can't, like, just do right. that for free. That, that This is their job right. to try to get you to respond. So, like, I, for, for me, it makes me very sad that these people want to do this to our students, want to say these hateful things, and more than that, want to provoke some kind of awful response so that they can put our students mm -hmm. on YouTube, mm -hmm. point at them for the conservative media, media to mock them and say, look at what the liberal indoctrinators are doing. I really, really want our students to be like, you know what, you what you have to say is irrelevant to me right i don't care what you say you can you can say whatever the fuck you want and i'm not going to respond to you because you're shit i mean like i would rather that and takes so i know much. that i know i know but that's where i say i think we need to do better on our campus and it, i think in public spaces teaching people how to yeah. do that and whether that means tabletop exercises where you get groups of students and, and faculty together where you're having these conversations like how do you respond in right. the moment? What let's would you be say? ready for let's it be ready for it reactive right let's and so be proactive I, yeah. I feel like doing that proactive preventative work ahead of time is well, of part course. of social it's an inoculation. change uh, it's inoculation right it's and it's unfortunate that we have to do that but until the supreme court makes a determination in some kind of case that changes that right we gotta we gotta work within this and yeah. we're glad for the first amendment so we need to we i think also though like recording what was actually oh, yeah. happening that was, was really fantastic important. i yeah. think um making sure that you're getting evidence that you're making sure that your side is seen is crucial oh they're getting evidence of you right the, you these people, right, you these people right come on campus. To yep, they're video record them. Yeah, you video record them from the moment they get yes. there, and you put them on Facebook Live. Yes, you, you make a recording. Yes. You put it on Twitter. Yes. You put it on your social media. Yes, you, you put them on blast. Yeah, and show them, show them what they're what they're trying to get you to think right. about yourself. Right. Show them all the hate. Show it to them. Show it. Be show it to the world. If they can videotape you responding to them, you can videotape them yeah. and sh show them to the world. So that's you know? one. That's something you know. Fighting speech with more speech. Yeah. That is an act of speech that you could do and feel should feel safe doing. Yeah, and have you know like the SPLC says, have an alternate event if you if you happen well, to. Well, but know. again, that requires like a little something planning. Plan <laughs> but that yeah. requires like true. campuses not to be reactive. I know. And they need to be proactive. Yeah. But that requires resources That's part to make it. people prepared. Yeah. And if you are trying to do this by hook or by crook, it's going to always be reactive and it's mm -hmm. going to inflame instead of calming things down. Yeah. And again, once again, we're talking about something that doesn't have an easy answer. There's nope. no easy yes, no. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Well, right. It's always uh, it's a lot. It's very messy and it's upsetting. But there are things that we can all do. And I know you and I work very hard toward this. So I hope the people who are listening, if you're thinking, well, restricting speech is the answer, please know that, that that's not the answer in this right. case. But there are things that, that we can all do to make things better and to help those people who feel targeted. 
Yeah, we gotta rise our, you know, raise our voices with them. Yep, more speech, more speech. <laughs> We're good at that. Yes, we are. <laughs> Till next time. <laughs> like what you're hearing? Become a patron of our podcast and help us be sustainable. Click that little green "Become a Patron" button on our Podbean page, and it'll get you started. But here's the cool news. There are three different patron levels that you can participate in to show your love and support of our hard work for you. A monthly commitment of just $1, which is less than the cost of a cup of coffee, gets you a large, cool, square sticker for your computer with our freshly designed logo, and you can share the love. For $5 a month, you get two stickers, a shout out on Facebook and on the podcast, plus our newest patron level of $8 a month, You'll get all the love and swag of the $1 and $5 levels, but also early access to every episode and expert extra. So join our patron team at this $8 a month level and be in the know before everyone else. All of your donations are greeted with our deepest gratitude. Thanks for keeping us sustainable. Time for... Trumpster Trumpster Fire! Colleen. Oh, Amanda. We need to talk about Trump and the First Amendment. Oh, God. This is going to circle back to Twitter, isn't it? <sighs> well, it always does, but let's not yeah, start no, there. No, no, no. Let's not. I wanted to read, actually, because he articulates it so beautifully. The president of the Southern Poverty Law Center, Richard Cohen, he testified last fall, mm-hmm. it was after Charlottesville, uh, um, in front of the U.S. Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions. Mm-hmm. And it was specifically related to the responsibilities of universities to uphold the 14th and First Amendments. Mm-hmm. But the tail end of his comments are di- just speak directly to Trump and the First Amendment. So I wanted to start out by reading some of his statement here, and then I, I well, know you And should we do a quick disclaimer that you and I both work for the SPC, SPLC indirectly? We both oh, write for point. Teaching Tolerance. Yeah, we so both we write are, for Teaching Tolerance. So we are um, freelance. No, freelance. just freelance and employed on a very small basis. Very small basis. But we yes. should point that out. Yeah. yeah. So we do We do technically work for them. I mean, on, as we work for ourselves, and they pay us when we write for them. Right. 1099. So as part of his testimony, Richard Cohen... He says the president has not always demonstrated fidelity to the First Amendment. Quote, he has suggested that the laws protecting freedom of speech and the press, laws that have constitutional underpinnings, should be changed. He, and this is Cohen's talking about Trump, has, has encouraged his supporters at times to use violence against those who protest against him. The implicit message is the silencing of dissent. So this idea that... After Charlottesville, if you remember, Congress issued a joint resolution urging the president to, quote, speak out against hate groups that espouse racism, extremism, xenophobia, anti-Semitism, and white supremacy, end quote. And this is back to Cohen says, unfortunately, he has not done so consistently during his campaign or during his presidency. Indeed, the truth is that President Trump has energized the white nationalist movement that is now targeting our colleges and universities. For this reason, the president has a special responsibility to take the air out of the movement, a special responsibility to heed Congress's recent call to use all resources available to the administration to, quote, address the growing prevalence of hate groups in our country. 
So Trump and the First Amendment and who's protecting what? And how is he using it? So well, so in right around the same time. So in mm-hmm. October, when Donald Trump was in the Oval Office, he said, quote, it is frankly disgusting the way the press is able to write whatever they want to write and people should look into it. So I think what he's doing there is he's conflating the press with libel because you're not you're not allowed to no. write whatever you want. No, you're not. So to take the the press, right, and to accuse it of being libelous, mm-hmm. um, which is undermining what the actual, what people would call the mainstream media, mm-hmm. um, people who fact check and, yeah. and do the work and sometimes make mistakes, but and sure. are supposed to correct them. And then he kind of doubled down on that with his idea of fake news. And he, he tweeted on October 11th, 2017, with all of the fake news, both of those capitalized, <laughs> coming out of NBC and the networks, capitalized for no reason, at what point is it appropriate to challenge their license, also capitalized for no reason, bad for a country, exclamation point. And the lack of subject there makes me want to fill in the subject with Donald Trump, but that's another story. So bad for a country. So now he's like calling out actual legitimate, I would say, mm-hmm. press agencies saying that they should this is the silencing mm-hmm. right that you yeah. just read from that statement so these like you'll hear journalists talk about the chilling effects of yes. something like this that he wants to curb press that he wants to stop the press that he wants to pull mm-hmm. their license that he wants to continuously sow doubt and he and and also he blocks people on twitter that he doesn't like I don't who are think critical that's of him. allowed well, and that's, but that's uh, the idea. That it, one but of the, it's one not the, the qu- POTUS account, it's well, his account. Right, right, but one of the questions is, is that a violation of the, you know, the citizen's free speech, right? So a citizen is critical of the president, as we are allowed to do, critical on Twitter of the president, tags the president, and now the president blocks that person. Is that a violation of free speech? That's actually a conversation going on well, right now. Well, I think as a human being, you're allowed <laughs> so. to do that. Right, but, I, I, like so. That's the question. Like, right. where does that? Where does to where does that Twitter account uh, fit? Right. I, I mean, I'm allowed to do that if somebody, mm-hmm. and I don't think anybody should be making statements threatening. I mean, I always retweet his stuff and like put my commentary, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to threaten. I'm not going to talk about your appearance. I'm going to stick to policy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to attempt to engage. Like, I'm not. I I think. I, but I, just, I really, you, I really is think it, his account is his account public. Or is it private? Well, and he's pushing the boundaries on that. He clearly doesn't like dissent when it's related to him. He only likes people who are saying yes to him. Anybody well, I only who, like people who say yes to me, too. Yeah, I'm me too. But, but that's the thing. It's, it's when you're in a high position of leadership like that, you have, to, you have to accept that people are going to disagree with you. People are going to fight back hard. And you have to have the wherewithal and the stomach for it and just push through it and move on. And he doesn't. And I would push that even further and celebrate it. Yeah. Because it is a basic tenet of our country. Exactly. So we have the constitutional right to free speech and free press. And he, I think, only wants it to apply to him. Well, and we, people and who we agree with him. And we don't That's have a, a constitutional right to libel. No. And, but he's, he's he's blurring the he's lines between the two yeah. and he's conflating them. And then yes. that's really problem, problematic because I don't think, I don't, I don't like libel either. No. So if it is libel libelous, then it is disgusting. <laughs> yes, it is. But, but the press is not libelous. They no. don't equal each other. No. And, and he's making this generalization as in that all 
press outlets except for Fox except News. For, I was just going to say, except for Fox and Friends. Fox and Friends are the only, <laughs> so except all other press outlets except for Fox News are libelous from President Trump's perspective. And that's factually inaccurate. It's problematic as a statement, and it is absolutely silencing. It's not right. upholding it's not, the First it's Amendment. It's not what you just read, right? It's silencing <laughs> dissent instead of accepting that dissent is, you know, a big part of this amazing job that you have been asked to do by the American people. Yeah. America is big and messy and conflicted and contentious, and that's okay. And sometimes libelous, which is not okay. Which is not okay, yeah. but the entirety of the press, all of those outlets that don't agree with you are not libelous. They right. are not right. lying. Right. The fact that he keeps saying that, and I mean, I know he's only talking to his base, and the rest of us are like rolling our eyes going, oh my God. But it's dangerous. To call free speech disgusting is really, I, mean, I can't believe that didn't shock every American, frankly. Right. And so that's why when people are talking about like we're normalizing things, well, we're, we've come to a point where now he is so outrageous on an hourly basis that we have gotten to the point where we go, wow, he just called the First Amendment disgusting. And we all next, just shake right, our heads. Right, next. We shake our heads. We have a drink of water and we move on to the next chaotic or a drink crisis. Of something stronger. Because that. Or eat some cheese. But that, That's but nobody, he's not going to listen to our side, but nobody on his side is stopping him either. That's what's dangerous. Well, I That's do the think, problem. But I think, like, and again, I don't think these people are like heroes, but I think somebody like Jeff Flake, I think somebody mm-hmm. like recently James Comey, mm-hmm. I think we are maybe starting to hear a few more voices mm-hmm. from within that camp trying to draw attention to some of these problematic issues. Again, I am not going to put a medal of honor on these people. Did you see that Alex Jones just came out and I flipped did. out? About- <laughs> I did. I was I like, mean, Alex Jones just turned on him? Well, Holy. Well, at least All the rats jump ship, you know? All the rats are jumping, the sh- which is which is good. I mean, that's there are things that they need to hold this dude accountable right, for, like, and this is yeah. one of them. Yeah. Agreed. Because it affects all of us. So, yeah. Free speech. Go free speech. Let's give it up for the First Amendment. (laughs) We dedicate ourselves to collective resistance. Resistance to the billionaire mortgage profiteers and gentrifiers. Resistance to the healthcare privateers. As I have said, and as I believe, the advancement of the full participation of women and girls in every aspect of their societies is the great unfinished business of the 21st century. And not just for women, but for everyone. And not just in far away countries, but right here in the United States. understanding that sometimes we must put our bodies where our beliefs are. Sometimes pressing send is not enough. If if we want to give all of our children a foundation for their dreams and opportunities worthy of their promise, if if we want to give them that sense of limitless possibility, That belief that here in America, there is always something better out there if you're willing to work for it. 
then we must work like never before. This episode's fierce woman warrior is Lori Penny. Lori Penny bravely writes about gender in a climate that wants to silence her voice. Instead, she gets louder. Her work is all over the internet, especially on long reads, and she is an active feminist voice on Twitter worth following. She has written several books in her short writing career, so I can only look forward to her work in the future. She is smart, prolific, and unwavering in her commitment to ending inequity. This is one of my favorite paragraphs that she's written recently in one of her long reads pieces called Who Does She Think She Is? That's all about women writing on the internet. Early in the essay, she writes, When it comes to feminism, simply describing the world as so many of us actually experience it can be a radical act. And that's what a lot of women started doing in 2010 in numbers too big to ignore. However, she writes that social media can expand the means to proliferate misogynistic and sexist narratives and shame women and maintain power inequalities in an offline world. The year 2010 was also when mob harassment started to be weaponized against women online in an organized way. That's no coincidence. Just about exactly when women started to use the internet to organize in ways that kept patriarchy awake at night, it started to become a truism that the internet was a dangerous place for girls. This development is always described in the passive voice, as if there weren't a lot of people out there determined to make sure it stays that way. This quote helps remind me that Penny relies on voice and is a constant reminder to all of us of why we need to make sure our voices are heard on the internet especially. Let's take a time out for a Media Minute. Understanding the First Amendment and our constitutionally guaranteed free speech rights is more important than ever. Many of us are worried about the potential erosion of free speech under the Trump administration. We also worry about how far-right ideologues use the freedoms provided by the First Amendment as a weapon against those with whom they disagree, such as college professors, journalists, protesters, and others. Therefore, it is incumbent upon each and every one of us to educate ourselves about free speech rights. But reading the First Amendment itself isn't enough. Hundreds of years of legal decisions have determined and continue to determine how the First Amendment actually works in practice. I know it can feel overwhelming to educate yourself about free speech because there are so many other things to worry about, but I promise you this is one area you do want to pay attention to and become more knowledgeable about if you care about preserving this right now and in the future. Here is one simple place to begin. Watch the HBO documentary, Shouting Fire, Stories from the Edge of Free Speech. Made in 2009, this film covers important moments in our history when freedom of speech was tested and focuses on the balancing act between protecting civil liberties and national security in a post 9-11 world. Think about issues that we continue to grapple with today. Peaceful nonviolent protesters being arrested simply for protesting, government surveillance of private citizens, the character assassination of professors who say things that right-wingers disagree with. This documentary may be nine years old, but it remains relevant and will widen your perspective on free speech and will arm you with essential historical references and new knowledge.
One professor in the film says, quote, necessity is the excuse for every infringement on freedom, end quote. Know your rights. Pay attention. Use your words. Fight back every day. Complacency is no longer an option. Let's end today's podcast with some activist actions. My call to you today is to speak out in as many ways as possible. Make your voice heard. You could start a blog for free. You can get a Twitter account. You can amplify other voices. So there are lots of ways you can amplify other voices. You can review works on Amazon. You can write blog posts about other pieces you like. Start your own freaking podcast. I don't care what you do. And honestly, I don't even necessarily care about what your message is. What I want you to do is make sure there are so many voices out in the ether that they cannot be shut down. So make sure your voice is heard, speak out, amplify, and make sure free speech is something that we can all enjoy. Thanks for spending time with us inside 254. You can find us a lot of places online. On Facebook, we're at Inside 254 Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Inside 254 Pod. On Instagram, we are at Inside 254. And on WordPress, where we post links and places that you can go to donate or learn more about our activist actions, we're at Inside254Site, S-I-T-E dot WordPress dot com. You can find our free episodes on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play Music, and you can also just Google us. There are two things you can do to help us build audience today. You can go onto Facebook, click one of those stars, and leave a comment as feedback, and then you can go to your listening platform and rate us on there as well. By doing those two things, that's going to get our word out and help us build our audience. Thank you for helping us grow. 